the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Starting with Mr. Brandon Birdside. Brandon. What's up, Mike? What's up, guys? Good to see everybody. Next, we have Mr. Scott Gershon. Hey, Mike. Next, we, wow, Scott, that was actually... That was more volume. <laughs> There's no, like, squeaky... Brevity is the soul of wit, I guess. <laughs> uh, and followed by Mr. Nick Peck. Well, hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. Welcome to one year in jail, our one-year anniversary. <laughs> That's so right. And finally, we have the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. This is show 222... Mr. Rob Arbiter. What's up, Mike? What's up, everybody? Rob, it's good to see you. 222 episodes, huh? 222 episodes, that's right. And today we have an amazing guest. I mean, this guest has a story and a bio that's longer than we have time for. But I'm actually going to let Rob introduce him because he's a good friend of Rob and Rob brought him to the podcast tonight. So, Rob? Take it away. And this way you also don't have to trip on his last name. Exactly. <laughs> he wins the award for having the longest last name on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I've been working together with this guy uh, for a while now on a project, and we've really hit it off, and we have a lot in common, and I think he's going to be a great fit here. Uh, his name is David Sonnenshine, and he covers many gamuts. He's a sound designer, filmmaker, uh, neuroscientist. Uh, he's got many, many different expertises. He literally wrote the book on... Uh, Sound design, which uh, I know a lot of people have read. And uh, yeah, he's just, it just, it's funny. I've been working with him for the last few months and it finally occurred to me, wow, he'd be the absolute perfect fit for like a hundred episodes of the podcast. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I'm happy to have him along tonight. It's David Sunshine. Say hi, David. Hello, everyone. It's amazing to be here. And uh, it was very spontaneous. Yeah, I just got invited uh, just recently and I'm here fully uh, engaged, really excited. Well, that's great. Well, welcome to the podcast and we're going to be visiting with you and we'll get a little bit about your, your story and we'll talk about uh, sound design and we're going to talk about sound design and the physiology of sound and the body and, and the brain. And we're going to get really cerebral on this podcast. We're going to get really heady. <laughs> but before we do that, I want to cover a couple things. Number one, um, are you guys... Uh, I know Scott's uh, on it, but how many people are involved in Clubhouse? Anybody here on Clubhouse? I just joined today. Uh, Nick, uh, are you on Clubhouse? Do you know about Clubhouse? Clubhouse yeah, is never heard of it. It's like it's like the new social media platform, but it's for audio. It's actually like mm. if you had uh, a giant, um, you know, it's telephone. Giant, it's a conference call. Yeah, yeah it's a giant uh, conference call without the video. It's just all audio and and there's different rooms and you go to a room and somebody's talking about a subject that you want to be involved in right yeah and the, the cool thing about clubhouse is when you start a room you have a lot of control over if you want people to talk or you want people just to listen and some of the rooms get really you know a lot of people show up and you can just listen you can come and go as you want or if you want to take questions they can you know take questions things like that there's a lot of really good interactivity anyway um so starting in year 15, we're going to do a couple clubhouses. So if you guys are you know, involved, I've got invites for the guys on the podcast who aren't um, on it. I'm going to invite you guys, but we'll do a little bit, uh, you know, a couple of clubhouse discussions and we'll make them really interactive with our listeners. And I think it'll be really kind of fun. Um, the, the thing about it is it's invite only right now. So it tends to keep out like a lot of the trolls and you actually know who invited them because they, they list, you know, who was your invite and, and so on. So it, it's pretty cool and it's not recorded. It's only live in the moment and then that's it. So that's the, one of the good things about it. It's very spontaneous and very interactive. So if you're out there and you're on Clubhouse, you can look for me right now, um, Audio Nowcast, or look for Mike Rodriguez, and, uh, and you can follow, and I'll follow back. And, uh, and then when, as soon as we start our rooms, you know, be involved with the, uh, with the discussion because it'll be really fun, and we'll talk gear, and we'll talk stories, and all kinds of really fun stuff. So I just Mike, wanted what, to... What time of day do you find the most traffic and most people are on? You know, 
I'm amazed that people are on at all times. <laughs> like I'm, I was pulling an all-nighter and I got a beep that somebody started a room at 4 a.m. <laughs> and it was a gear room. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is this person doing up at 4 a.m.? Were, were they up at 4 in the morning or were they in England? No, they were here. They were here. Wow. I don't want to, you know what? I'm not going to say the name because he's, he's kind of a, he's been on our podcast and he's kind of a big producer, but he was on super late and I was like, well, I wonder what he's doing. On. <laughs> so anyhow, but uh, yeah, I, I just find it like during the day, there's some, there's, you got to search and you just like anything else, there's a lot of noise, but there's also some pretty cool things in. And the thing I like is you can go in, you can listen. If it's engaging, you can stay if you don't like it. And you just get back out. So it's it's pretty cool. And it's it's very troll-free right now. Some of the discussions are um, a little boring, but some of them are actually really cool. So it's, it all depends. I, I think if you know the personalities, that really kind of dictates what your experience is going to be um, because you kind of know what to expect. But they have everything. They've got everything from how to use Clubhouse <laughs> to investing and things like that. Um, yeah, there was, I was on a, a call this afternoon about NFTs, which is the hot new oh, yeah. cryptocurrency thing. But it was like this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's big you know, in that world and stuff. It's, it's like being in a conference call with a bunch of big wigs in a world that you have no connections to at all. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And I, the thing I like about it is you really get a sense of personality too. Because I think people, are, since it's not saved, even though some people have saved some of the phone calls, um, some of the conferences, people are just a little bit more relaxed. It's, it has a very chill vibe, you know? So that's what's, what's kind of cool. So anyway, um, so I just wanted to plug that. We're going to be doing that um, starting in April and I'll let everybody know when that happens. Which by the way, this is our second to the last not the next podcast, but the podcast after is our 15 year anniversary. How crazy is that? 15 years, you know? And, and I I don't know if you noticed, well, actually you've all noticed the, the podcasts have just exploded, right? You've got iHeart, you've got everything have just exploded. And the fact that, that we've been on for 15 years, because I've been listening to some of these podcasts and some of them, like, that's a great podcast, for like four episodes. <laughs> and then you're like, how are they going to stretch that? You know? Uh, but obviously there's the, the ones that have been on for a super long time too. And some of them, you know, podcasting has launched a lot of careers into TV and things like that. So uh, not us, but, <laughs> but, um, but it's really great. So just stay tuned for that. We're going to do some fun stuff. So anyway, before we start visiting with David, I just got to ask you guys one super quick question. I need your input. So I, I got a, an email from a listener. Um, his name is Jacob. And he was talking about pricing himself and setting up a, a small little studio. And I actually, it was very timely because right now I'm in the middle of trying to figure out, you know, the, the price of sound jobs have, it's just, it's it's gone so low. I, I worked on this feature film and now I'm trying to get the audio uh, for it. And they originally only budgeted $6,000 for the audio. <laughs> oh, God. Six grand. And the crazy that's thing why, is... That's why it's good to go union. Right. No, I understand. <laughs> it's, a, it's a low... And look, this is a... It's a... It's a... Uh, you know, it's a feature. It's not... It's... But it's... Very independent, um, very low budge, but even low budge, six grand is ridiculously low, like ridiculous. Like when they told me that, I was like, uh, I wouldn't touch that because there's so much work that's going to like, when you're into six grand for a feature film, you got to make compromises and that's your work that's going to go out there, you know? And I, it, what it kind of got me a little upset because not at the producers, but they've been working with some people who are taking these gigs at six grand. And I'm like, you know, you're not doing any of us a favor. (laughs) You're not doing any of us a favor. And I've heard some of the six grand jobs and they sound like they did everything with the, you know, sound ideas, you know, library and that's it. Foley, the whole shebang. And there was no ADR and stuff like that. Mike, when anyway. you do when you do low budget projects, six to ten grand, let's say, how much time do you put on it? Well, 
Well, I don't do anything for six grand. I, I just, but I you, can't. Okay, I let's can't. say for 15 grand. Yeah, I, I'll put probably on something like that because I have done that before. I've done a 15 grand before and it took me about two weeks. I'll put like two weeks in it and I brought so in you'll another. you'll do cut ADR, on board. ADR Foley, um, ADR Foley mix everything two weeks by yourself? Yeah, well, because no, I'll bring somebody else on because two things. Number one, here's what you do. You you cut your foley. You don't walk your foley. I have a I have a guy who is he's a cutter. He's a cutter of foley and it sounds amazing. He's done real foley and he But it still takes time. How much Oh absolutely. And he do you know, an he hour and a half, two hour show. Yeah, even he, if you're using the little programs that you've got available to you now. Yeah, he, he can knock it out in about a week. You know, he can knock right. it out. But what I'm always fascinated in the low budgets, because it's a different world than I'm used to, is that is somebody working for a thousand bucks a week? Is somebody no. working for two thousand bucks a week? No, no, no. You you gotta look if you're gonna do low budge, you gotta and you're gonna ask them the crunch, you're gonna pay them like three grand, four grand, five grand to cut your foley like that. Because it's just right. it's so, so time and so they're getting let's see, twenty five hundred to five grand a week. Yeah. So it takes two weeks. It's $2,500. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the money, like, here's what you compromise on. You don't do it in a giant mix room. You do it in your, like, I used to do it at the West Wave, um, you know, studios. When I used to have that studio in Burbank, you, you just do it in the facility that you have. And you you try not, like, ADR. If you're going to bring somebody into ADR, you bring somebody into your room and you do it right then and there. And, you know, you use a CS you know, 11 or a Sennheiser and right then and there. And that's how you record it. You make compromises. You don't have the facility. You take the facility out. It really drops a lot of things. Now I will say this. If you are doing a theatrical and you're doing a low budge, you need to budget in at least a day in a real facility so that you can hear it in a real facility. But fortunately, you know, fortunately or unfortunately right now, that's not even on the radar for a lot of these people. A lot of the low budget producers, they're it's streaming only. It's amazing how like they're not even a, there's no DCP. Nothing's going to be made. It's just going to go streaming only. So anyway, to make a long story short, um, I was talking to him about that and about the budgeting, but also about putting together a room. And um, it's basically, I told him, I said, right, put together a five one monitoring system that you can at least get your your position and your the phasing of your sound effects and then the bass and things like that. But then see if you can pop into a bigger room just to hear your, your mix back. And and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm working, you know, trying to get into a, you know, friend studio and, you know, spend some money there. But I wanted to open it up to you guys. Um, it pretty much the conversation we're having right now, Scott, have you guys ever done anything on that super low budget? And do you guys have any tips um, that I can pass on or we can pass on right now to, to getting it done? Because, there's compromises to be made, and where would you guys make those compromises? Well, I, I've done a few of those in the early days, and it was mostly that what you're not going to pay me in cash, you're going to pay me in education. So I'm going to use your project as a guinea pig, you know, to sort of learn a new technology or a new way to do things. Like I did a couple low-budget features when I first got the, the console because I wanted to learn the console, and I'd rather get paid a little bit to learn it than nothing. And so I did some early projects, you know, in those days just for the educational value. Um, but you always have to be clear about why you're doing something because the, the one thing that a lot of people think is if I do this project for cheap, then when this producer has a huge budget, they'll come back to me and give me a huge budget. It never works that way. They think of you as the guy who'll work for cheap. That's, yep. that's so, so true. Establish that. Just know if you're doing it for cheap, you better be getting something out of it besides the cash. I've got it. I'm going to just add to Rob's story a little bit. I'm not going to name any names here, but at the beginning of my career, um, there was a, a guy who wanted me to sound design a, a full length animated film, which uh, he said, Oh, because my friend, Mr. Blah, 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 who Scott knows, um, you know, he won't, he won't do it because there's no budget for him. Oh, okay. I got it. Um, so, you, you know, but, but you'll do it. It's like, yes, I will come in and do it. I spent months, on this project. Unfortunately, it was at the beginning of my career. And the result of that was that I didn't have as much work um, as I would have shortly afterwards. So I spent months on it, finished it, sounded great. I mean, it was a real movie. It came out in the movie theaters, the whole thing. Uh, guess what happened the next time he had his next project? 
he had a real budget and he hired the other guy. So that was, ex- yeah. I am saying exactly what Rob says. That happened to and me. The trick is to be thought of as the other guy they can't afford because then they get all excited when they can come back to you a year later right. with the budget. Right. They try to be the other guy. Uh, Brandon, how about you? Have you ever had to deal with uh, the low budget and where would you make the concessions? Yeah, I mean, with the, the low budget stuff, they always end up being way more work and way more of a pain in the ass than any other higher paying thing. So it's like, I learned early on, just steer clear of that. I, I don't even touch it. That's so true. How about you, Scott? I mean, I know you work on the big boys, but when you, you, you know, know. It's interesting. I, I think that I, I, I work on what I call lower budget, but you would think would be a big budget. Right. So if you've got 75 to hundred grand, that to me is a low budget because I'm not the only person working on it. Right. Because I do need Foley. Foley artists are 250 bucks an hour, super cheap, 550 on the top. Even if I get some of the guys that I know, and I've got all the programs that I can do Foley with, it still takes a certain amount of time. A documentary would be a lot easier because then you're just going to the OMFs and, and making it better. Um, but you, you're having to pay other people. So I'm used to working in a world of time and materials because everything's based on that. That's why I was asking to you going, fascinating, how much do you spend on this or how much you spend on that? Because you can look at like TV as saying, all right, somebody's spending two to three weeks a team to, to bang out 45 minutes. So if they're going to take, you know, a dialogue editor for two weeks, a sound effects person, depends if it's a walk and talk or not, it could be anywhere from a week to three days to two weeks. So then you're looking at a TV version of being able to do um, a, a sort of a film. But there's still a certain amount of hard costs that Absolutely. are not your own unless you just want to work for 800 bucks a week or 500 bucks a week. And again, it just depends on what, you know, what you're going to make on it. To be honest, um, I did a, a, a kind of a, a short for somebody. And the reality was, uh, when he asked me what he could pay me, it was too low. This is a weird psychological thing. So then I joked around and said, but if you really want, you go buy me a guitar. And he did. And it was a really expensive one, which, by the way, if he gave it to me in cash, wouldn't be that much money. But right. because he gave me a guitar, and, and he was a smart guy, and he says, every time you see that guitar, you're going to think of me. <laughs> And it, you know, it could be a three, four thousand dollar guitar, and you're like, "That's a nice guitar." <laughs> or synth. Someone bought you a Prophet Five, and you're like, "That's really cool." But if someone gave you five grand and after taxes, and and all of a sudden you walk away with thirty five hundred bucks, you're like, eh, "Okay, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's all relatively speaking." Sure, it's a fascinating way to work. Well, I'll tell you one thing. So when I do low budge, and I've done a couple of them. Two things. I'll, I'll budget like I'm not going to put more than two weeks into this or whatever. However, it works out for my for a decent weekly rate. But I don't necessarily let the producers know that. Like I want more time, so they don't get the luxury of pushing me on this, you know, because it's like okay, you can. It's that triangle, you know. You know, you got time and you got money and you got you know. So if Good, you're not gonna, fast and cheap, pick any exactly. Two. Exactly. So, so oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so I will, that's going to be my budget, but that's like, I'm out there still getting other gigs and doing other things and going to be working on that to in the, in the spackle of my day, because sure. that's the only way it really kind of makes sense. And allows me to keep moving forward. Like I couldn't afford to like take, you know, two weeks and then trying to do all that work by myself and then just burn myself out, you know, doing, you know, six. So here's the question days. I've got. When I started and I was doing, I'm going to say lower quality, but people that are, are young filmmakers, because they don't know. They're still finding, experimenting, they're finding their sea legs. What I've always found is, strange enough, the bigger the people, the less fixes and the more time you have. But because this one film might be a one director's, I mean, he's like, everything's at stake here. How do you both deal with fixes? Oh. So you're sitting there going, I got two weeks, and hey, at midnight, we got to stop, whether we're done or not. 
Yeah. How do you get through that with them? Because they uh, want to get every cool thing they can. You give them, I give them, a, I give them an opportunity to make a change. <laughs> like they get one round of fixes and we'll go with that one round of fixes. And that, that's it. You know, I'll say, I'll touch on one thing that Brandon mentioned because it's so true. And I, I've, I've said this too. Often when people have a low budget, especially if, if they're an established person who's been around for a while, it's because they're not very organized or not like the people who are really great get great budgets because they're really great. Typically, if a budget is low, it's because you're dealing with people who are either less experienced or less good at what they do. And that's who's going to hit you with a million fixes. Like if you're dealing exactly. with someone who really has their poop together or what they want, you're not going to have to make as many fixes. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you this too. There's two, there's two levels because I've, I've worked with both. There's that level that you're talking about where they're super picky and they're unorganized and they want the moon. But then there's also the low budge because they just want to keep cranking these things out because that's in their business plan. And they'll, they'll be like, we trust you. We, we trust you. We trust you. And then, and I've worked on those guys where I've done a whole mix. They come by, they've listened to it, maybe made one or two changes and boom, it's out the door. Because why? Because they're working on their next one. And so they just, it's, it's the mill. And, 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 and Michael, where do these shows air? There's um, a bunch of online outlets right now. You know, it's basically the ones that I'm working on right now are all going to be online. They're just, they're specialty like horror. Like if it's horror, there's horror. There's like Slither, I think is the network. There's a bunch of different networks that will do it. There's, uh, it's all, it's all streaming. It's all online. It's all direct sales, all that kind of stuff. So that's basically what they're looking at is, is doing that. Foreign is, you know, it's huge foreign, which I tell people like, that's going to be your biggest budget is having a fully filled M&E. And even then, sometimes I'll strike the deal with, well, if you get it sold, then you come back and I'll, do, I'll give you an M&E because I'm not going to do the, the fully filled M&E um, for that and try to do everything else. That's a whole nother thing. You know, it's really fun. Work with a filmmaker. I'd made this mistake once who didn't realize they needed an M&E until the mix was almost done and didn't even really know what an M&E was. <laughs> and if you don't start out knowing you're going to be doing that, yeah. and I had to explain to them, look, it's like more than double the work. Yeah. Go back now and take your fully mixed film, which was terribly recorded in the first place, by the way. And now we yeah. got an M&E. Like, you know what? I will, you will say one thing that is a ton of fun for me, which I know is I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. Occasionally, I'll get someone who's doing a short or demo who is, let's say, a cinematographer, a picture cutter, a producer who needs to prove to a network or somebody that they actually know how to direct. And they usually have actually known stars and they usually have some connections, but they have no money because no one's paying for it. They're the ones paying out of their pocket. Those are fun to do because usually they're witty, they're fun. And they're usually very good quality, but they're just short. Yeah, yeah. could be four minutes, could be twelve yeah. minutes. Yeah. Well, anyway, I just wanted to open that up. We've got other things to talk about, but yeah, that's the whole little low budge world trying to trying to survive in COVID. Um, you know, the one thing I will say is is I'm trying to build in the budget put together a five one system here. You know, in my studio here because I've I've only got a stereo, and so. I'm just looking at, at speakers and right now I, and I want, I have a small footprint. And so I think, I think I'm going to go with the, uh, this is going to sound totally insane to you guys, but I think I'm going to go with the IK multimedia MTM speakers. And I don't know if you know about them, but they sound amazing. They're phenomenal, have a lot of power and they all have the built-in uh, microphone to tune to your room. And I'm like, I could get into that. So I'll let you know. I'm trying to build that into the budget. I've, I've got both of them. I've got the bigger boys and the little and the younger brother. Or the oh yeah. The, I, I have the iLouds. The, the, the yeah, I, exactly. And, and I've, I've played it for clients. I actually have the iLouds in my studio and I use them as kind of an everyday speaker. They're amazing. And they keep thinking, Oh, those are the bigger JBLs. I went, no, it's the small little guys. Yeah. And they're like, no, and they all have to walk over and touch it. Confirm. <laughs> so yeah, the iLouds, um, Dave Kersner turned me on to it. And no, oh my God, they are, for what they are, it's not a bad, I didn't know you can do a 5-1 on it, which I guess you just do well, input. You just do inputs. And I happen to have an M&K base management, 5-1 base management system. Sure. So I have that. So I'm just going to plug them into the, to the, uh, 
MNK based management system and I have a sub and the sub is, I got a 15 sub. So believe me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry. And it's a THX, you know, so I got the yeah. crossovers and the whole thing, but mainly for me is I just need the physical speakers so that for phase, you know, that's why I, you, you know, that people are going, why don't you use headphones and things like that? You headphones are cool, but if you really want to get the real world feel, nothing beats speakers to see how you're, how the Sonics are kind of interacting with each other, things like that. Yeah. Anyway, we got to move on because we got some really great stuff. But having said that, let's transfer and let's talk to David. David, you know, you literally wrote the book on sound design and stuff like that. Have you ever worked on any any low budge? Have you oh, worked yeah. on? Yeah, I, I have certainly, and and um, I, I did feature films uh, in Brazil. I lived in Brazil for fifteen years, and we we uh, produced. In a, about three years, I, I was one of the partners in the production company. So I was a, a director on one of them. And all of them, I, I dealt with the sound. Uh, and that was um, <clears throat> another story. This was in the early 90s. And, um, and so we were using the best they had with the best equipment and the best people they had in Brazil. But that's not saying much in terms of, of sound quality because their tradition was to use um, pretty much uh, all, all foreign films were, were um, uh, subtitled or dubbed. And whenever they exported, they just, they, they just didn't uh, look at the sound quality of the, the actual location being important because they would actually dub a lot of their location sound in, from Portuguese to Portuguese, I'm saying. Um, and we had to actually come up to uh, LA for doing our optical transfers and everything. So there was a lot of finger pointing when we finally got to the theaters and it sounded like shit. <laughs> no, it was the lab. No, it was the, it was the studio. And, and I lived through that as being like the sound quote, the sound expert uh, in, in like the, the circular firing squad. Um, so that, that I wouldn't call low budget, and in, in the sense that it was it was pretty high budget in Brazil, but it's maybe the equivalent of, of what you guys are talking about here because uh, we we uh, certainly struggled. Now that being said, I've also done independent stuff on my own home studio and uh, you know mainly the editing and all that. And and I would always take it to some studio here in LA, you know, locally, depending on the budget, we would do, we do our mixes there. I, I've mixed documentaries uh, on my Pro Tools system at home. Um, and I, I agree this whole thing about the budget and all that. I, I just, uh, I, I would do it if I was really enchanted and interested in the people and the project, I would invest uh, my time to do it. But if it wasn't there, and the money wasn't there, I just pass. That would be my attitude around that. You know, um, we're going to leave the low budge, but I, I, but you reminded me while you were talking about this. One thing that I did uh, for this particular film is I they put together a teaser um, for for their basically for the money people. Uh, it wasn't going to go out. It's only just for the money people. And so I, uh, the director asked me to do the sound on that. And I went above and beyond. He paid me a little bit, but I went above and beyond on that teaser because I want to lock them into that quality of sound so that it's kind of a sneaky way to get the gig <clears throat> because I designed the sound of the, of the, the monsters, you know, it's a horror film. So there's a monster in it. And, and it's, it's, it turned out really good. I really liked it. The director was freaking out about it. He loved it. And so in order for them to keep that quality, they're going to need to, you know, raise the money to be able to do the sound better yeah. than what they have. So that's just a sneaky little thing. If you can help with any of the promotion. Sneaky. I don't think no. that's sneaky at all, Mike. I think that that's doing two things. A, it's educating the client. And B, it's showing the client why it is that you're the one to hire for the big gig. Yeah. Well, that's true. All right. Well, see, I can sleep better now. <laughs> anyway, David, let's talk about, about sound design. Let's talk a little bit about, you do, you know, you're involved with, um, with sound and with special needs kids through your um, Sing and Speak for Kids, and you have a really unique approach. But 
before even we won't even get into that right now. Um, uh, let's talk about like what audio does to to the body. How do we react to that? How is it? How does it affect us? Because I think, especially in the pandemic, like a lot of things that are saving people. And if you read, and I went online and I just googled, you know, audio pandemic, music pandemic, the whole thing. It just music is literally saved lives it yeah. literally has now, saved people, lives people may not realize that david also has a neuroscience background so he's not just, <laughs> so he's yeah. uniquely qualified to talk about that yeah exactly i forgot to say that actually yeah, and and lead into that with a little bit about your bio on and how you about yourself just so you yeah, just, can get tonight. Just, uh, try to do a really quick one i started as a musician young age in classical um i'm uh, specialized in clarinet and I learned several other instruments along the way, played several symphony orchestras and just, it was my life uh, as well as, as graphic arts. And, uh, and on the flip side, it's science. My father was a, a physiologist, a researcher at UCLA medical school. So I was always intrigued by that. So when I was in college, I really wanted to, uh, develop also those sides. So I, I got my degree in neurobiology. I worked in a sleep laboratory for several years, uh, studying brain waves and, and consciousness and all that piece. Uh, this is back in the 70s. So I got, got to publish some really interesting articles way back then. Um, and my music career kind of evolved into um, world music because I started traveling all over. I started picking up instruments that were not our traditional classical um, scales uh, or sounds and recognizing them by these instruments and, and play with them and, and study with the masters. And I'm talking about mostly um, Indonesia uh, and uh, India and uh, Thailand, those, those areas. Um, so it was uh, learning and experiencing things that were not that traditional Western sound and then bridging that into everything in sound. And, and my own experience, I'm also a synesthete. So uh, meaning that when I hear sounds, I see things. And when I see things, they, they sound to me. It's particularly the audio and the visual uh, transfer. Uh, there, there's a bit of kinesthesia for me too. So these things thrust me into the world of film because that to me was the way I could do it all. And so I started making films in my 20s, um, ended up at USC Film School. I got my master's there, uh, specialized in directing and sound, uh, won a, a Best Editor's Award for sound, and, uh, and then really wanted to make feature films. Uh, I ended up um, meeting Crosstown um, film uh, student at UCLA and uh, ended up uh, getting married to her and moving to her hometown in Rio de Janeiro. And that's where we formed our company and produced six feature films in the eighties uh, and nineties. Wait, really quick. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. She was from, she was from UCLA that's and you're right. from USC. That's correct. correct. <laughs> we, 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 well, my dad was also at UCLA. So I already had a, uh, you know, a long time <laughs> with UCLA and USC and UCLA are, of course, yeah. you can look at sports and film and all those uh, things, but I, I, I have my feet firmly planted in both. So uh, that's, it, it's, it's been a joy and, and kind of uh, a lot of jokes around that too. <laughs> Spoken like a true diplomat. <laughs> exactly. Um, just so you know, I'm, I'm USC. My family, my dad went to USC. So we're all USC on this side. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who to cheer during the, you know, the Oscars when we got somebody competing or, or a football game. It, it, it's how I, I love them both. <laughs> All right, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're yeah, now yeah. So, so I, I, uh, I got the, the opportunity then to, to really, uh, you know, stretch my, my uh, creative and, and technical uh, way with, with sound in particular as a director and as, an, uh, as a sound designer. And it led me towards um, helping other filmmakers, basically recognizing that I had a very unique approach which then led me towards teaching my first class in Cuba. 
And I was invited because I'd written an article in Portuguese, which I'd become fluent in. And somebody in Cuba picked it up and said, let's get this guy over here. So I ended up teaching a two-week course in Cuba uh, International Film School there. And uh, all the students uh, just spoke Spanish. So I, I had my portuñol uh, that got me through. And, and that was a, a really exciting experience of, of seeing how I could share with others what I'd learned throughout um, and that led to writing my book. And uh, it took about two years. I had two small kids, uh, so I wrote it starting at 10 p.m. <laughs> I got right for two years and, and got it out. And, um, and there, uh, it then led me to um, teaching all, literally all over the world. And the book's Just so people can look it up, what's the name of the book again? Sound Design. Pretty easy. Uh, the um, is... <laughs> <laughs> the expressive power of music, voice, and sound effects in cinema. Oh, and Nick has it right there in his library. There we go. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it's on Amazon. Anybody can pick it up. Uh, it's getting cheaper by the year. <laughs> and there's lots of used copies if you can't afford the new one. <laughs> That's funny. And, and so I ended up getting called from universities and, and um, film schools and, and TV stations all over all over the world. And so it's been a, it was an amazing career for, for many years, just doing a lot of teaching and traveling. And I developed my own web series, uh, webinars, you know, 10 years ago, long before we were all addicted to Zoom. Uh, and I've been teaching online now for, oh gosh, uh, over that uh, time uh, to uh, Academy of Art University in San Francisco, all online classes. I've been doing that for, for many, many years. I created um, offline modules. They're all asynchronous there. I've done synchronous and asynchronous teaching. I love teaching with the students' film projects or their, at least their exercises in film and sound design because then I'm, I'm there present. I'm not repeating myself over and over again because you can imagine how many times I've lectured about the same thing. Um, so just read the book, you know. Uh, but getting in front of a, of a new project, and it, it doesn't matter how good or bad or how long or short it is or, or who's doing it, I'm just, I'm just charged by, by being there like as, a, as an, an advisor, a, a counselor, whatever you want to call a coach. Um, and that to me is, comes very naturally. I, and, and I put in all of my experience, but my um, intuition and my scientific knowledge and all of those things come in. So I think one of the main reasons that I'm good at it is that I'm a filmmaker and a storyteller. And so everything has to serve the story and the characters and, and the emotions and the purpose of the film, whatever it is, a documentary, commercial, PSA, feature film, this is what I start the conversation with. Uh, and then I lead whomever is hiring me, I lead them towards their solutions uh, in the way that they can define how they best want to communicate. Who are they communicating to? You know, uh, so if it's uh, a, a low budget, well, is it low budget because it's just going to go off on to, uh, you know, some cable thing? Uh, or is it low budget because it, that's all they have, but it's got a very specific audience and they're going to reach a specific target that's really different than another target. So anyway, that, that's a, a quick resume of how I got up to today. Got Thank muted. You. Maybe you're muted. muted. Yeah, I'm muted. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was me trying to be, uh, you know, trying to be respectful and then forgetting that I had mute on. <laughs> but that that's an amazing resume, and that I, it just there's so many. You know, we're gonna have to have you back several times because there's so many different alleys on that. But having said that. Go into your neuroscience. Let's go into just the raw audio and and. Tell us what happened. Why, you know, phys, you know, to our bodies, to our minds. What does music yeah. do that literally can sometimes touch people with the right sounds at the right time, yeah. the right emotion, and, and yeah. save their lives? Well, one of the things that's just fundamental to how we process audio is that 
it goes through a different circuitry, brain circuitry, than our vision. And our vision goes from our eyes basically to the frontal cortex, which is our uh, visual cortex, where we interpret things, we see things, we read things, uh, we recognize people's faces, and all, all of that is really immediate. And it's a different pathway. It goes from our ears to the back of our brains, where the limbic system is first. And the limbic system is that old reptilian kind of system that is, is really about instinct and uh, emotion of fear and surprise. And uh, wow. those things then get the sound first. And so that's why, you know, in horror films, you know, we jump people out of the seats so quickly, you know, with, with those surprises, you know, that, that happen in the sound. Or, or we um, trigger a memory of uh, our first date with that song because the, the emotions are so strong and they're way back there. They're not in the frontal cortex where we were, oh, that was my first date. You know, it is really about the feelings. And so I think that's a, a fundamental piece of, of how we've been made up that makes sound so powerful. You know, that's really interesting that you say that because, so I'm editing this teaser and it has obviously some jump scares in it. And when you watch a jump scare without audio, it's not scary at all. It just looks like a cut. Boy, you put a loud banging sound in there and you immediately like, boom, it has this visceral, you know, feeling. You like, it, it's, it gets scarier. It gets, it, gets, it gets more effective. That's interesting. I did not know that, that, that the audio takes a left turn and your, your vision takes a right turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and speaking of those things too, we have these fundamental sounds that are, quote, scary, like a, a, a lion growl, primordial fear that we're going to get eaten. And, and uh, it's hard to do that with just the visuals. Uh, first of all, uh, most of our visuals are flat on a screen. So uh, until we get into virtual reality, which then makes it more 3D or, or, or augmented reality where it's, you know, with our, our uh, environment, uh, audio really, the surround is very different and the way it comes into our, our, our brains and our senses is very different than, than the visual of a movie uh, and most games. So it, it has it, a much more of a reality base in that sense, too. We don't distinguish, oh, I'm just uh, watching a movie so much. It's, it could be really there. So if you're sound designing and you want to use some of this knowledge as kind of like a secret weapon, um, what what do you like? Do you recommend just just looking at some of these like primal fears and look at 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 some of these you know emotional triggers and then depending on how you're designing your film and doing the sound, you know, seeing yeah. if you can pull some of those things. Absolutely. Well, if you're in a genre of horror, it's just ripe for that. Right. If you're, if you're in the genre of comedy, on the other hand, uh, it's much more sophisticated. It, it's it's um, it's a, it's a lot easier to just scare somebody out of their seats than make them laugh because the audience has so many levels of why they would laugh at something. I mean, is it, a, is it a verbal joke? Is it a visual joke? Is it something about the character that's unexpected? There's so many levels that you can then reinforce with your audio. So, but you have to really get deep into the story and the characters about what's going to work. Um, one of the one of the ways you can approach it in general is uh, is looking at what are known as gestalt principles, perceptual principles that have to do with our way of seeing the world. Um, a very simple one that we, we uh, know about in our sound mixing would be uh, foreground and background. You know, we, our ambience is, is the background sounds and our foreground is usually the dialogue or, or any sound effect that is really on screen. Uh, and, and that helps you separate. If you close your eyes, you can still separate those things. Um, so uh, drawing the audience's attention to what it is you want, knowing these gestalt perceptual principles, you can apply them uh, you know, by looking at lots and lots of movies and see how they do it, but you can also just read the principles and, and if you understand them 
from that basic neurological basis, it's kind of like a blueprint to follow. That is so cool. That's some great information. Hey, Scott, when you're designing your films, do you use any of this approach, the cerebral approach? Do you, I mean, I'm sure you do because you've talked about some of the films that you've done. How does this play into what you do uh, on a daily basis? You know, for me, I always felt I was an audio psychologist because ultimately, and it's the same with music. To me, there's actually no difference between music and sound design, um, whether using constant inner dissonance, uh, whether using positional types of stuff, whether using, you know, the, the, the loudest sound that I have is silence. And it also depends, are they in a dark environment, controlled environment, or are they watching TV with the kids running around and, and they have a lot of distractions? So every project I do in any medium that I work in, I'm always looking at what do I want to psychologically do to the audience? Do I want to make them giggle? Do I want to give them fear? You know, again, American Beauty Pacific Rim. Sure, One sure. of them is like, boom, the whole room moves, and you're like, whoa. Um, it also depends. But if you keep doing all the jump scares of the booms, they stop working. Right. So, and if you go too silent, you're sending... Um, like I did Final Destination, and one of the, the fun things we did, which was a ton of fun to watch, this girl's just talking to this guy. She walks in the street, and out of nowhere, bus hits her, takes her out. <laughs> to watch a full audience literally jump out of their seat was a really fun experience because we didn't show it was coming. Music didn't indicate it. Nothing indicated it. And it was one of those early times where not a lot of people were doing that. So, and you know, you do the whole room and you make it big. Or if you're using like a live and the whole plane is crashing and I didn't want to go ah, screaming people. I actually went with silence, white knuckling and hearing the, the plane just ripping apart. Wait, you did, a, you did a live? That, that plane crash is one of the scariest plane crashes I've ever seen. That literally at the premiere, we got a standing ovation after the sequence because I made that whole room (laughs) so loud. It was, it was like right up there with, uh, I don't think we can play it this loud. Every speaker was going and the whole point of it was not to go loud, but right afterward, we went dead silent. Yeah. And then I needed to find a way to create audio deprivation. And the way I did it was through contrast. So if you look at each form of storytelling of what you want to accomplish, sound is just yet another um, tool in the box. And, And sometimes how do you best use sound? I mean, trailer music all the time, it's exciting. It makes you, yeah, yeah, I got to see that. Or, you know, trailer music to me is everything about emotion. You know what? That's that's a great point because A, Scott, bravo for Alive because <laughs> that was Thank phenomenal. You. But Brandon, you know, uh, Brandon works on, uh, he does uh, film trailers, he does sound effects. And the thing about Brandon's sound effects, and, and I noticed this when I used to go visit him in the studio because we used to work at the same place, like his hits, Brandon, you like, you have like instant emotion, right? Because when you do your hits, you're hitting and the director wants you to tell a certain feeling story at that moment in like one or two sound effects, correct? I mean, you just have to do it instantly. Yeah, I mean, the vibe. Yeah, I mean, it's just like Scott says, it's all about, you know, story. I mean, it's, I'm always thinking, what is this? You know, what is storytelling in its simplest form? And to me, it's like I make a sound and it causes a emotional reaction from you. So it could be, you know, if it's a horror movie, it could be some shocking thing or some like creak in the background that sort of or some tone that comes in that's sort of, you know, setting the stage for what's about to happen. But it's like, yeah, what sound can I make and how will that make an emotional response in the listener? Whether I'm making sound design or music, it's like always, you know, is this piece of music... You know, am I trying to create anxiety, you know, and like, like Scott said, trailers is all about, you know, you're cramming all the exciting parts of a movie into two minutes. So it's like, it's got to be exciting, especially if it's an action movie or a monster flick or whatever. So it's, you know, it's just excitement, excitement. But then yet, 
you also need those pauses. And in trailers, you know, in movies, you've got fast-paced scenes and some very, very slow-paced scenes. In trailers, it's it's all sped up, but you've also got some more harder-heading parts and then some, it you know, it stops down for a minute. We just call them stop-downs for dialogue to come in or maybe a sound design sequence or whatever, and then you're back in the music and, and that type of thing. But yeah, it's, it's always on the, the story and how does this serve the story is always at the forefront of, of what I'm trying to do. And also, so with... with- if I can just jump in, one thing I say with trailers, it's not like there's compelling dialogue. Right. There's some great visuals. And one of the things that I am just a massive fan of trailers is that how to get everybody excited or whatever you want to get them, it's all with music and sound effects. Yeah. And I know that we were doing um, Congo, early days. And we were also doing Braveheart, so it's just one of these. Am I just? And a lot of us wanted off of Braveheart because we saw the trailer on Congo, which you just added a little sound. The tra- the blurriness, and you don't know what it is, and it's Congo. You know, all yeah. of a sudden we were like, oh, "My God, we want to see this film." We saw the film; it was a whole different discussion. But <laughs> um, yes, but when we saw that trailer, the power <laughs> that the, I mean, even and then with Rob with Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, you just go on and on. There's so many great trailers that tease you into, I got to see this. Well, the thing about trailers uh, and what you pointed out is you convey all this in a short amount of time. You don't have minutes. You've got frames, literally. It's not always a two-minute trailer. I mean, we're talking 30-second and 15-second TV spots, which is just like, boom, this, boom, that. Oh, my God, we're going to die. Dun, 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 boom. I don't, you know, and that's it. No, it's so true. When I used to mix, I mixed a lot of uh, TV spots. So you mix the 30, the 15, and and sometimes you even got a 60. Um, But, yeah, you had to convey so much information. So Every, like, there are no wasted sound effects. Every single bit of audio in a trailer, I guarantee you, has been discussed or is purposely put there because it's, it's, everything is that important. And then as a mixer, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, my, my big claim to fame is I mixed the original TV trailer for Lord of the Rings way back when. All right. And so there was so much like hype on the first TV trailer that I literally had all these new line executives in there that were going to okay it. And I had the very first session, the editor gave me 76 tracks of audio. Think (laughs) about that. 70 for a 30 second spot that, you know, for a film that doesn't seem like a lot, but coming from the trailer world, 76 channels of audio was a lot. And so it was just a matter of like, what were they trying to say? What were we to do? And thank <clears> God, most editors kind of overdo it. So you can kind of thin out some of their sound design so that everything kind of fits nice and kind of kind of weaves together. And that's actually what the, the, the editor was really great, but he just, he overstacked, you know, when you want to sub hit one, maybe two, but you don't need like five layered on top of each other, you know? So that's where a lot of that came from. But like, you know, it's, it's so every single sound has a purpose and, and it's really interesting. Nick, when you're working with your, um, your Disney stuff, right? You're the other side, we're all scaring, but you all have to be like friendly and happy and convey a whole nother set of emotions, right? Well, it, 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 it depends. Because don't forget, Disney is also Marvel and Lucas. no, that's true. I, I, I'm and, thinking and National Geographic and now Fox now yeah, and yeah. and 20th Century, yeah, Alien, things like that. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there are a, is a lot of storytelling, but if we limit ourselves to classic Disney or legacy Disney, which is absolutely my favorite, yeah, um, yeah, it it's it it is very much that. Now there isn't any. There is no classic Disney movie that doesn't have scariness in it, right? I mean, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. If there isn't an evil, scary villain, then there's no movie. Ursula in The Little Mermaid, right? You have to have that contrast to be able to make it work. The thing that I love... Well, so there's a couple of things that I want to say. And I've said this on the show before. Um, You guys are talking uh, about music and sound effects, and you're absolutely right. You know, and remember, I come from that same world, right? But... uh, Disney always reminds me, as Scott said, storytelling is what it's about. Maybe David said, I don't remember. One of the two of you said that. And at Disney, 
the storytelling is told by the dialogue. It's told by the characters. And with if you can't understand what they're saying, it doesn't matter how beautiful the music is or how enormous the sound effects are, um, you've failed. And so uh, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, dialogue is, is number one. Disney's got, you know, this beautiful, recognizable, lush music that I love so very much. It's wonderful. And then the other thing, as I've said before, that I love about working there is that I know that the parents of small kids, I know Brandon can, you know, take his kids to see Disney stuff and he doesn't have to worry that they're going to see something that he doesn't want them to see. Yeah. Right. And that, that is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's, you know, that's the best part of my job. I don't know, dude, every Disney movie starts with a horrible tragedy. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, we understand the technique of emotionally grabbing your list, your viewer to take them on yeah. the roller coaster, but I'm like, Oh, the parents died. What again? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Tarzan, okay, Tarzan, the animated Tarzan. I looked I over, her. and my little my little girl was crying. You know, blame Scott. Scott did Tarzan. Tarzan, yeah. oh. I did Tarzan, Hunchback, Bravo, a bunch of this and stuff. Bravo. You know what is? I never thought that too. When I was doing Hunchback, and he was taking the cloth, fantasizing about Esmeralda, and burning down the city and killing everyone. And that was at the time when they, they were going through frames of Little Mermaid and they found one frame that they were there was subjectivity to. Right. And I'm like, I have a question. You found one frame within 24 frames a second that was questionable, but you're not seeing the whole I'm going to destroy and kill everybody as he's fantasizing <laughs> about a woman and that's okay? Uh, I mean, so it's, it is – no, Disney's – but you know what's fascinating I totally agree with you on this. As an adult, I saw a film. When I, So when I started doing all these Disney films, I went back to look at the old films. And I didn't notice those things that I noticed as an adult. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is just special about Disney, and it's just amazing, they're making two films. They're making a film that the adults enjoy, and they're making a a film that the kids see and it's there's so two different films yeah. the kids don't see because I remember now as an adult I'm watching my son watching Disney films I look at my wife well look at my son did he notice that no he didn't yeah it, I think that's amazing that's, filmmaking, and it's you know. Yeah, that's that's the genius. Well, hey, listen, believe it or not, we're gonna have to start wrapping this up because, and I feel like this has just flown by. So, David, we're definitely gonna be bringing you back. Um, one last thing I wanted to say um, on the whole Nick thing is, it, you know, with Disney, is the thing about Disney too, Nick, is like especially with the classic, there's like a sound like signature sound like of the classics like they just they sound disney it's part of the whole disney-esque and i think it's with the music and the dialogue obviously yeah. that just kind of gives it that type of personality hey rob before and we the end, optical you, recording and yeah exactly know, the technology the rca microphones and all of the technology <laughs> yeah. that they had at that point sure yeah hey rob did you want to say something before before we wrap it up oh i was just going to point out as we were talking about earlier one of my favorite sound moments in any of the projects that Scott's ever done is the the total silent moment in American Beauty. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I remember I saw it actually, I think I saw that in the theater with you, Scott, at one of the premieres or something. And at that moment, and I forget how long it lasts, but at that moment when it was you described it as all faders down, and it is like it's the loudest silence you can imagine. Throughout the room, all of a sudden you just sensed this enormity of silence. It was just it's one of the coolest moments I've ever had in a theater. Yeah, no, that was cool. I actually I watched American Beauty again during the pandemic. I think I even texted you or I called you and told you what a great job because it's such a phenomenal. So go out there and watch it again because I'm sure everybody's sick of what's on there. So find it at whatever streaming service. And it's also funny because at the time when Scott invited me to come see it, it was like this little movie. It wasn't going to be this huge deal. Yeah, it was an art piece. We, yeah. we thought we'd offend everybody. The film <laughs> would just have its own little audience. And and it's funny when you do silence, though, we got hit with all the technical. Like, um. Uh, we think you got a dropout. <laughs> and you're like, yes, we we're, did. We're, we're looking at the waveforms and there's nothing there. <laughs> That's no, so I, great. I, I, I actually had a film where I had a big piece of silence and we did it with the test audience and they started 
talking in the middle and going and, and turning around to the projectionist, hey, yeah, yeah. and so we actually <laughs> had to cut it out before we released the film. <laughs> that's that's incredible. Well, hey, listen, we got to wrap up, uh, David. I feel like we haven't we've only touched the surface and there's so much more we have to talk about. Um, but it was, you know, it was a pleasure to have you. I'm going to invite you back. Uh, come join, hang out with us. Cause there's, there's more we got to talk about um, really quick before we go. Anybody want to plug anything that they're working on? Anybody, anybody at all? You I want to, uh, I, I do want to mark a passing. That's uh, you know, that's quite sad. There's been a lot of those kinds of things that we've been talking about during the pandemic uh, and this one is just two days old, um, and it's the passing of my alma mater. Mills College in Oakland was not able to survive the pandemic, and wow. a 162-year-old institution wow. um, is is done. So they're they're not taking wow. in any new students. And the thing that's so sad about it, and the thing that's so important about it, um, from our perspective, is that was the or that is the center of contemporary music. That is what the San Francisco Tape Music Center became. And you know, I remember seeing all of the, you know, all of the most important people of contemporary music performed there. David Tudor and John Cage and, you know, Pauline Oliveros and, uh, and, and Don Buchla, as I've said before, you know, and it's just so sad that um, something that is that wonderful, uh, you know, this, this jewel of just pure art is, is, is going away. That, that is, that is tragic. I'll mention one other passing uh, that, I didn't see a lot of news about him, and maybe it's because he had some questionable story towards the end, but James Levine, uh, the conductor, passed away, and he was an yeah. amazing conductor musician. I was lucky enough to see him conduct at the uh, Metropolitan Opera, and, and he was just, he was an amazing force, and uh, I didn't see a lot of press about it, but that was sad. Wow, that was sad. And so apparently Scott's internet connection is bad. <laughs> Uh, all right well i will keep you guys posted on my quest for the ultra low budge and we'll see what happens um i have a breakout point like i'm not going to do it for less than this i can't because you you don't want it to cost you money you know to work on stuff so um so we'll see what happens and and uh i'll keep everybody posted but um David, thank you so much for joining us. And like I said, we're going to invite you back because that was fun. There's more to talk about. And uh, And I'm actually, I'm working on a really cool project with David that I want to uh, uh, spend a little time talking about. So, Yeah. As a matter of fact, do you want to mention just a a quick two-minute thing on, on that project and then we'll pick it up? Uh, you want to give a two-minute highlight, David? Just a yeah, sure. Um, moving into interactive, uh, my my life has really been focused on on games and uh, interactive audio and music, and uh, I've developed a program called Sing and Speak for Kids, which is specifically to help young children with speech delays by using music to stimulate their brains in remarkable ways and in particular autism uh, kids with autism uh, basically we're, we're talking about brain neuroscience here uh, they respond to music as any neurotypical kid and we use it to basically scaffold to their language development in that specific part of the brain and it works and so we've developed this program it's online um, for use in home and clinics and schools and uh, Rob is uh, on board with uh, IT and music uh, helping all of that move forward so we'll, we'll talk about that the next time I'm absolutely that's great yeah. that is a sound healing you know that's it's all you yeah. know like I told you before my son's autistic and I can attest to a lot of things that audio has helped him with and just brought the quality of life up tremendously so yeah. all right, well they, they can check it out at singandspeakforkids.com if they want to check it before. Yep. And also, why don't you, Nick, why don't you hold up the book one more time for uh, David's sure. book? Do you have that handy? So, yes, I do. It, the book is David's Sun and Shine Sound Design, The Expressive Power of Music, Voice, and Sound Effects in Cinema. And I'll bet you could buy it on Amazon or Abe Books tonight. <laughs> There you go. 
All right. Well, from myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Also, uh, look out for the Audio Nowcast on Clubhouse because we're going to be doing some really fun stuff on there. Um, So shoot me a note and, uh, you know, and uh, I'll keep you posted. So thanks for listening. And like I said, for myself and all the guys, uh, we'll catch you next time. You still got to wear a mask, Joanne. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbitier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time.